Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Well, hey there, welcome back to uh, our time at the Scent Life studio. We have our friend uh, Chris Martin with us. And Chris is the content marketing editor at Moody Publishers. He also is social media and marketing communications consultant. Uh, I've known Chris for a whole lot of years. In fact, for, for several years, he was a kind of a, a coach for me uh, when I published with uh, a different publisher, uh, helping with uh, getting some information about how to, to do a book. In fact, Chris, you were my coach that actually led me to... Um, to deviate my publishing journeys outside of missions and get into uh, writing about the dangers of pornography. You remember that journey? Oh man, that was such a fun time talking with you. And I don't think we've really got to talk since then. Um, And that was, it was so fun to help you try to navigate you're like, you know, a lot of people make fun of me and the, the fact that I share a name with the lead singer of Coldplay. Well, you <laughs> and now apparently a relief pitcher for my favorite team, the Chicago Cubs. You and you, you have a much more unfortunate name sharing predicament. And I just love your your very much in line with what you do and who you are, your missional heart to try to like redeem your name coincidence and try to use it for good. I thought it was phenomenal. And I love trying to help you with that as best I could. So it was really fun. Yeah, you're a great coach. For those of you that don't know, uh, like Chris said, I share a name with the guy who uh, publishes pornography. And uh, Chris helped with the first book that I, I published with uh, BH Academic. And we read and kind of ran into a crossroads and uh, said, What do I do about this problem? And one thing we just decided was, Hey, what if we wrote a book that was designed for people who need help escaping the trap of pornography and thought, Man, if people are searching for this other guy's work, then maybe they'll find my work. And uh, so we wrote it, talked about how to escape pornography, um, the dangers of it, and how to become a Christian. And so it was really, it was kind of an interesting, fascinating, maybe one of the more unique book story journeys that anybody's taken. So, and Chris was the coach along the way. Man, thanks for being with us today, Chris. Yeah, glad to be here and glad to hang out and chat. I am a Southeastern alumnus, so glad to be uh, hanging out and talking with you guys. I wish I could spend more time on campus, but that's the nature of living in Nashville. But I did get to come a few times and and hang out with you guys, so it's uh, good to be on here. We love. We have to have you back to campus sometime and do this live, not over Zoom. But speaking of books, you have uh, recently published a book, Terms of Service: The Real Cost of Social Media. So, first of all, congratulations on the book publishing. Thank you. Thanks. It was really fun to write. Uh, I don't like promoting myself. So it's been kind of like pulling teeth. I love doing podcasts like this, but I don't like just asking people to buy my book or, you know, doing that kind of stuff. It just feels weird to me. Some people are fine with it and that's cool. Uh, But it was super fun to write and uh, I love coming on and talking about it. Yeah. So the book is on social media. Uh, The social internet uh, is what you uh, go back and forth using it throughout the book. So talk to us a second for our, our listeners, those that don't I haven't seen the book. By the way, if you would like a copy of Chris's book, the first five people who write us uh, to our, um, uh, our our webpage or contact us, we'll give you a free copy book. Now, if you're number six through 175, you got to buy your own copy, but the first five uh, we'll give to you. But Chris, talk to us a bit about the book itself. What led you to write the book on the real cost of social media? And what do you really hope the book's going to accomplish? So... Uh, without taking too long to answer the question, um, it's, it's been a long journey to kind of get to this point. So I, like, I've 
almost my whole mm, like roughly nine year professional career. Like I graduated college in 2013 and we're sitting here in 2022. So almost my entire like professional career has been working in social media. I spent seven years doing different social media roles at LifeWay Christian Resources. Now I'm in a, a slightly different role at Moody Publishers. Um, I do a little bit of social media work, but mostly more like long form editing. I edit books. I do, I do other like longer form online content kind of stuff. So, uh, but I still do a significant amount of consulting on social, keep my pulse on what's going on on social media trends and all that. When I was running social media at Lifeway, eventually I became like head of social media at Lifeway. And I was in the muck of this stuff, like mm. every day nice. studying how algorithms work and trying to figure out how to best use social media to provide online resources through the like free stuff we were providing at Lifeway, as well as try to get people to purchase like print resources. And as I was studying a lot of these things, I went from spending a lot of my time kind of during the day, um, studying it from like a strategic perspective. And what I, what I found is I was studying it from a strategic perspective. I was also starting to wonder about it from a guess you could say like deeper philosophical perspective. Like I was studying how the Facebook algorithm worked so that we could change our content strategy to try to get our stuff in, in as front of many people's eyes as possible, because it's, it's like a game. I really think of it like a video game of sorts. And yeah. it's kind of fun in that way. It's also infuriating like video games can be, but like <laughs> it, but at this, but then like at night I started reading guys like Neil Postman and Tim Wu and, and all of these different guys who write, Postman was not writing about the internet. He was a little bit before that time, but writing about how media and, and the internet shape us, shape how we think, shape how we think not only about ourselves, but about the world, perhaps about our faith. However, I was, I was having a hard time finding at, at that time, this was 2016, 2017. I was having a hard time finding many people who wrote like Neil Postman, who were also believers. Now, mm. since then, there, there have been a bevy of people who have sure. who have started writing about that andy crouch has been really good at it jason thacker has been really good at it um there have been a lot of folks who have written about these things that have become very good but at the time i was like man i i was reading amusing ourselves to death by postman which was written in 1985 has nothing to do with social media but everything to do with social media yeah. um it uh it really changed my life like more than any other book outside of scripture has and it really reframed how i view our relationship with media in general, but social media specifically. And I was like, man, I, I think we could really use Postman's voice today. What if there was, and, and I think it'd be great if they wrote from a Christian perspective. Is there anybody who writes like Neil Postman from a Christian perspective? Well, not really that I could find at the time. So I was like, I'll just start doing it however and wherever I can. So I read a lot more of Postman, read other people that Postman cited all the time and just kind of tried to get in that mind obviously nowhere here is smart not trying to say like i am like him but i wanted to kind of bring forward his ethic and his ideas and though he and i if he were alive and i had the privilege of speaking with him we would disagree on some things um but i was like man i think that would be really helpful so i just started writing a few outlets like that like what social media doing to us and then that turned into me writing a newsletter totally dedicated to that um called terms of service and then a friend came to me um, so he's actually a colleague now, Trillia Newbell. She said, hey, I think you might have a book in you on social media and how it's changing us. And I said, you know, you might be right. And I went and I pulled, like I, I write in these moleskin notebooks, uh, to-do lists and everything every, all the time. I have like stacks of them. And I keep them. And I went and I found one that was sitting on my shelf from like two years ago. And uh, no offense to my pastor, but I often get 
ideas for things I'm writing or whatever while he's preaching, while I'm taking notes. I'm taking notes and I'm taking notes in my notebook and then I'm like, oh man, that's a really good idea for a newsletter or you know, a blog post or whatever. Um, well, one, one Sunday, apparently back in like August of 2019, I had come up with an entire outline for a book on social media that I had tentatively called in my notebook, terms and conditions, how social media changes us without realizing it or something like that. And so I wrote like, I, I was like, I just read a table of contents, like nine chapters, and I was like, hey, I should go, I should go pull that notebook out of my box of notebooks and see if it's worth considering. So long story short, I, I considered it. I pitched it to B&H because I worked at Lifeway and Lifeway employees had to pitch it to B&H. And so I pitched it to B&H. They really liked it. And so it became a book. Um, and so I, the whole book really, to summarize, like, why did I write it? What I hope it accomplishes? I don't think social media is all bad. I use it myself. And I actually find a lot of good from it. Um, I, I've, I'm in a weird position I don't know the average age of a lot of your listeners, but like I'm, I'm 31. I got on Twitter when it was released when I was a junior in high school in 2007. I have for better for I've rarely deleted tweets. I think I have like 35,000 tweets or something like that. I have grown up on this stuff. And before that, I was on MySpace, you know, and all of that. Yeah. So for better, for worse, I've grown up on this stuff and um, I love it. However, as I've gotten older, I've obviously seen a lot of negativity from it. And, and frankly, I think it's kind of been maybe a net negative on society in general, especially in more recent years. And so I was like, I think there's a book on, hey, how do we consider this from a Christian perspective? I think there are two poor postures when considering the internet and social media specifically. One, I think uncritical embrace, mm-hmm. just like embracing something without, without having critical thought about it at all. And I think passive ignorance is also a poor posture tab. Just like, I don't care about this. Like, it's just some new fad that all these kids are obsessed with. I think that sort of posture is also bad. But I think a sort of like critical examination or a critical relationship with something like the internet, the social internet more broadly can be really helpful. And so I just, in the book, I don't advocate for everybody deleting their social media accounts or, or, uh, you know, just leaving social media entirely, though that may be helpful for some people. I, what I really just advocate for is a cr- having a more critical relationship with social media and kind of asking, what do I hope these platforms accomplish in my life? Are they accomplishing it? And how is it affecting me really? Do I, do, can I recognize if these things are affecting me negatively? And if I can't, what do I do about it? Um, so that's kind of the hope of the book and, and a bit of how it kind of came to be long. Uh, uh, long that story. Makes, yeah, no, no, that's great. It makes perfect sense. So it seems that Kind of the point of the book seems to be that social media or you use the term social internet as well is here to stay. You you made the comment it's the you know it's the water that we swim in that once the bell is rung you can't unring this thing. It's part of the fabric of our life, but it's dangerous. In fact, I think you say at some point it's our water, but it's toxic. Yeah. Um. So you can't get away from it. But we, but you then through the book you're saying be careful because of this thing. So is that a fair assessment of the purpose of the book? And why do you, why do you make that type of assessment about social media uh, being both the water we live in, but it's a toxic flood that we swim in anyway? Sure. Let me, let me um, speak to the water first. So the reason I don't always advocate for just delete your accounts and it'll solve the social media problem Because um, the reason now, again, let me say, I think if some folks are like finding themselves addicted to social media, or it's like leading them to sin regularly, like delete the apps, get some accountability the the book talks about that toward the end. Like, I think they're, I think kind of extricating it, cutting off the hand, if you will, can be very helpful. But I think if you have this idea that 
I can solve the problem of social media's influence in my life by deleting the apps or, or deleting my accounts, you're mistaken and you're just going to get frustrated. Mm. And the best example I always use for this, and I mentioned this maybe in the book, but I speak of my 85 year old grandmother, 88 year old grandmother every Sunday. Mm. Um, I'm every Sunday I'm making dinner. I'll call her up. She lives back in Indiana where I'm from. She's never used the internet in her life. Um, however, uh, two Sundays out of the month, one or two Sundays out of the month, when we're talking, she'll cite something, uh, talk about something that one of her friends saw on Facebook and told her about. Uh, and I just always laugh. And in fact, one time it was kind of sad. This was back in the fall of 2021. Um, she, she actually was complaining to me, like, like kind of getting frustrated at me about something that she was told happened on Facebook and I, I was like, that sounds really weird. So I had to like, look it up as I'm talking to her on the phone. And it was like fake, fake news, essentially misinformation. Mm -hmm. And I was like, my grandmother has never used the internet in her life. Mm -hmm. And she was just led astray by disinformation on Facebook. Um, and that's just one small example of how it really is the water in which we swim. Mm -hmm. My grandmother had no accounts to delete. She had no apps to delete. She didn't have a smartphone until last year when she like begged for an iPhone to see pictures of her great granddaughter, my, my daughter in our like private family photo album that we share. And so like there, there is no way that she could solve the problem by deleting her accounts, but it was just the water in which she swimming. and she watches the news all day, every day or whatever. And she sees like such and so tweeted this, or this was posted on YouTube. Or, and so she, she's familiar with these things. She can't escape it. So that's how it's like, like we're fish in water, like fish can't live outside of water. We can't live outside of social media. It's just impossible. Um, we can limit our involvement. The reason it's toxic is because um, without getting too technical, social media is, is built on an economy of attention. So attention is the currency of the social internet. Um, and when attention is the currency of the social internet, those who get the most attention are going to be the richest, right? That, like that's, that's how currency and economics works. So the way you get the most attention is generally like the way you get rich with attention is by being a jerk, mm. by being negative, like, and, and it's not just um, human nature uh, because some people would say this is a common conversation I have uh, is, and, and funny, it, Christians hold this view more than non-Christians in my conversations with both parties that it's just, that's just a sin problem. Like social media is a neutral tool uh, that we just use badly because we're sinners. And I'm like, well, yes, we use it badly because we're sinners. Amen. But social media is not a neutral tool. Right. These platforms are designed to support negative interactions more than positive interactions, like the literal mathematical algorithm. And I'm not a math guy. Let me be clear. Like in <laughs> no uncertain terms, <laughs> I'm a math guy, like not at all. Um, but I've studied these algorithms a lot, which are really just super complex algebraic equations as best as we can. They're kind of like the black box of the social internet because nobody actually yeah. reveals them. They're like, they're like the 11 herbs and spices at KFC. Like you don't really know what they are, um, but you can kind of like discern based on activity, what, it, what is and isn't in there. And, Facebook has since been, it's been revealed through like Wall Street Journal doing some investigative reporting that their algorithm supports negativity, it basically upholds negative engagement and supports it, like promotes negative engagement more than positive engagement. So like when you can go on Facebook and react with the frowny face or like the angry face, that gets more points in the mm -hmm. algorithm than the happy face or the, the smiley face or whatever. So like um, 
what, what I think a lot of folks don't understand, and this kind of is part of the point of the book as well, is these platforms are designed to lead to failure, I guess you could say. Like they're designed to create negativity and to to cycle negativity more than positivity. Now, every platform is different. You can't you can't lump them all into one. And obviously they change all the time. But generally speaking, the reason I say the water is toxic is if we aren't intentional, if we use the fish metaphor, if we don't swim around with our little fishy gas masks on, we're just going to get caught up in this toxic flywheel of negativity. And we're going to want to contribute to it so we can get more attention and feel more rich and feel like we're more valuable because we get more attention. And the way you do that is by being a jerk. And it just kind of keeps going and going and going. And I'm sure you guys can, I certainly can think of a handful of folks Christians and not, but Christians especially, who have just kind of unraveled in the last decade because they've gotten caught and caught up in this flywheel oh, of yeah. negativity, and it's just totally transformed who they are. And it's, I think, it's because they're drunk on the power and wealth that comes from all of that attention. Right. Um, so that's a, a little bit of why I call it water because it's inescapable and toxic because I think it's it's designed. Algorithms are designed to give us more of what we want, mm. not more of what we should want. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're designed to deliver us deeper into our desires, not deliver us from them. And so I think as Christians, we recognize how, how harmful that can really be. Yeah, man, Chris, I re- so I stumbled upon your, back before the book came out, I stumbled upon your newsletter a while back, and man, it has been a breath of fresh air uh, for me to read that. And uh, it has really helped me think through some of the categories you were just talking about, in fact, right? And uh, the nuance that you bring to that conversation, I think is a very important one. Um, I, th- I think a question, so you mentioned the book and you've mentioned uh, on your newsletter at times about how you and your family personally navigate some of these things as far as like, do we post pictures or do we not post pictures of the kids and how we, how we navigate our own usage. I'd love for you to unpack some of your thoughts behind as, you know, somebody who's got a family. How do you think through shepherding them to that well? And as an extension, how should Christians kind of think, think about using this stuff wisely. Sure. Um, so I'll just to give a little context for listeners who don't know me, which is probably most of them. Um, yeah. So my wife and I have been married nine years in June. We have a two-year-old daughter as of a couple of days ago. And, um, and I've served in student ministry since I was a high school student. So I was on staff at my church until a couple of years ago as like a volunteer staff student minister. Uh, but now I just serve as like a volunteer who, who disciples students. And so I've been working with teenagers since I was one. And um, so I'm, I'm not a parent of a teenager though. So I'm going to talk maybe a little bit about teens in this because teens are where it gets really difficult. And I'm really glad I'm not a parent of a teenager right now. Um, but, and I'm trying to learn from them who are currently doing it. Uh, but I have, I, I serve in student ministry, so I'm interacting with that a lot. So for, for us, um, we don't do it perfectly. Uh, like I use social media too much. I'll be like, I use it too much. Um, I usually have Twitter open. Twitter is my preferred platform. Twitter and YouTube are my two, are my, yeah, two, are my two favorite. I keep, I keep track of my favorite sports teams. Um, so social, like a lot of the people that inform me in my writing, I follow them on Twitter and that's how I, how I learn. So I follow, um, some like financial, like stock stuff. And so I follow a handful of, of random kind of topics. I actually stay away from Christian Twitter entirely. Um, so like, in fact, I'm not lo- like when I'm on Twitter during the day, I am, uh, I'm not logged into my personal Twitter on any platform, um, mm-hmm. so that I can stay away from, 
I think Christian Twitter is one of the most toxic spaces on Twitter. That's a conversation for another time. But like, I just want to be totally apart from it. So I created like, call it a burner Twitter account. That sounds like nefarious, but, <laughs> but like I created an account that has no attachment to me. And like, I have no obligation to be me on social media, um, on, on Twitter, but I just follow a bunch of accounts that are like random interests of mine. Like I said, sports teams or whatever. And so I, any tweets I post, I post from me are through like a third party scheduler so that I'm not just like popping off or trying to like hop into like the, the debate of the day. Cause there always is one. We always find right. one. Um, but I like to, to kind of, cause I would be tempted to just like tell everybody my opinion cause I'm at my computer mm-hmm. all day editing books and stuff like that. So if I was logged into my Twitter account, I'd be like, well, I mean, I got it open. Like, why don't I just fire off a comment about this? I, I used to do that when I was a young professional and I have no desire to be that person anymore. So I was just like, I need to put a level of distance between me and my Twitter account so that I can consume what I want to, uh, but not necessarily feel like I have to talk all the time. Mm. Um, I just got out of reading Proverbs in my annual Bible reading plan. And uh, it was a great reminder to keep up what I'm doing. Um, So uh, especially in that regard. So that's personally, I have written on how my wife and I have decided before our daughter was born to not post any pictures of her on the internet for a long time. Um, now, let me be clear, like, I'm not, I don't want to shame people who do post pictures of their kids. Like, I don't think it's morally wrong or anything like that. Sure. Um, and I always want to be like, I'm not trying to speak from a position of like pride here. However, I've been among this stuff enough. And I've studied privacy concerns and social media enough. And I've heard enough horror stories about kids about parents who have had pictures of their kids virtually like virtually hijacked mm-hmm. and used for all kinds of terrible things the exploitation was, you mentioned in your book is yeah yeah <laughs> yeah crazy. like i i mentioned i mentioned the book i had a friend who had twins in the nicu and she gave me permission to share this story in the book and i uh she she had twins in the nicu and she would post regular updates about how they were doing and and just like keeping family and friends updated and someone created a, a fake instagram account copied all like downloaded all of her photos and and started impersonating her and asking for donations to a to a bogus GoFundMe. So like that's just one bad like it's an example of a terrible circumstance. And I've heard worse, not from personal friends, but I've read far worse experiences. So I was just like, look, I I have like, you know, if you I, I don't know if I put this in the book or not, but I, I've described it like this: like if you go back to two thousand and three, and you tell parents, hey, in like seven years. And certainly in 17 years, it's going to be totally normal for you to post pictures of your kid on the internet for the world to see. Sometimes even like half clothed in the bathtub or like not clothed in the bathtub. Like that's going to be totally normal. And in fact, if you don't post pictures of your kids on the internet, people are going to think you're weird. If you told that to parents in like 2003, they would have said you were crazy. Like back in 2003, people were still hesitant to put their credit card into Amazon. Like it was yeah. like still, uh, so like you're telling me I'm going to post pictures of my kid on this thing all the time. And, but when we made this decision, people were like, are you really not posting pictures of your kid on the internet? Like, how are you going to pull that off? Aren't, isn't your family so mad? I'm like, look, for literally millennia, we've existed without having to worry about this. Like, why is this a thing? Now, what we do, because I tend to trust Apple's privacy pretty mm-hmm. significantly. I've sure. done a lot of research into theirs, and they don't profit off of user data, which is right. a huge, a huge deal. And so, like, we have a shared Apple photo album that is our personal family Facebook, if you will, yeah, yeah. that all of our all of our family members can have access to this 
Apple photo album. We post pictures that we post probably a dozen pictures a week or so. And um, so that's really our outlet to let family and friends see our daughter. And, but we like, I'm sure one day we will post pictures of her to the internet. Frankly, I do, this is a whole other conversation, but I think like, I think consent to post pictures on the internet is important. And so like, I don't, I don't want to post something to my daughter today when she's two, that when she's 12, she's going to find really embarrassing. And like, that could somehow maybe break trust. And I just, I I want, I, yeah, I want her to be able to speak into that, um, you know, as much as however, you know, a 10 year old, 12 year old can. Um, But like what we're not, we're not pharisaical about it. So my brother's wedding is this spring. My daughter is a flower girl. She will almost certainly appear in a photo on the internet yeah. because of that. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not like, oh no, what are we gonna do? She's like, it's fine, it's fine. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll try not to tag our family in it and just like have, you know, who's that random girl? Oh, it's like their daughter. Cool. Okay, and that's that. But so yeah. Anyway, that's just a few, a, a couple of ways that we try to do things. And that's just us trying to be thoughtful. I think the biggest thing is going back to that uncritical embrace and passive ignorance. This is, I think us just everybody just shotgunning photos of their family or other personal things going on on the internet all the time with no real thought as to what we're doing is that uncritical embrace. And I just want to be asking all the time, like, is it, is it necessary that we do this? Is it necessary that we do that? Anytime a new feature comes out, I tend to be an early adopter, but more these days, I'm kind of more like an early adopter with qual- with questions, like with qualifications, like, oh, this is a really interesting social media platform, but what all is it asking for me? Like, what all do I have to give it access to? You know, things like that. So, yeah, that's good. Yeah. And, and again, it's basically, hey, just use your brain. Don't, don't just yeah. follow the flow of what everyone else is doing. Again, we've got Chris Martin on here, the author of new book, Terms of Service, The Real Cost of Social Media. We really recommend that you get the book. Again, if you are one of the first five people who reach out to us and just ask for a copy of the book, I would be glad to send you a free copy. Uh, If you're six and after, you have to pay for your own copy, but you can pick that up at uh, amazon.com or any other places that you buy books. And we do highly recommend uh, that you do that. Chris, we've talked about... um, We've talked about social media, the internet, the platform, the dangers, but this, our Scent Life podcast really is focusing on missions and the mission of the church. As we think about the internet, social media, um, how can, uh, how can this internet, the social internet enhance the church's pursuit of its mission? Uh, Are there ways that it can interfere uh, when we think about, even before we jumped on and started recording, we were talking about the new and this new wave of the metaverse and people talking about being missionaries in the metaverse and church planting in the metaverse. So do you have, how, as you've thought through this, how do you think about missions, evangelism, these elements related to uh, the social media phenomenon? It's a really good question. Very, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot to think about here. Um, So like I said, kind of at the beginning of our discussion, I don't think social media is all bad. I do think it's maybe had sort of a net negative effect, especially in recent years, but I do think it can be used for good. Like part of the reason I consult with churches or other ministries on how to do social media well is because I think doing it well is a really great tool for ministry, for, Mm. for for sharing the gospel, for, for even just like, 
doing donor relations, you know, like if you help, if you run a nonprofit ministry, a missions organization, or like a school like Southeastern, like engaging with donors and contributors and part and partners in ministry through using social media as a tool to do that can be incredibly effective. And like, that's such a helpful tool. I've, I've talked with, I'm on the board of a ministry that does a lot of ministry out in the, Lebanon, the country in the Middle East. And um, I have to, I have to clarify sometimes because I'm in Tennessee where there is a Lebanon, Tennessee. Uh, I used to go to church out there. And um, so there's out anyway, out in the country of Lebanon. And, um, and so like social media has been a really great tool for them to connect with partners in the U S you know, cause it's a, it's a ministry that's based over there, but they have a lot of folks here stateside who, who they partner with. And so social media has just been a really great ministry for, to connect with them, keep them posted on how things are going um, and, and raise money through. So I think it's a, it's a great tool for that. And also like, I think, you know, I, um, I, I'm going to like out myself here. I still feel weird that it's like ashamed. It's like weird to feel ashamed about this because it's uh, culture's changed so much, but like, I'm a, I love video games and like and game gaming culture. Um, so sorry if that like offends someone or if you like now think I'm like a 15 year old boy or something like that. Um, but like I grew up with it and I think how it's evolved and become such a huge dominant force in culture, especially as the internet has evolved has been really fascinating. But like I, I've been a part of some like Christian gaming organizations over the years and the way that they have kind of done like done missions like i was part of a group that played a game and 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 like every wednesday night if people didn't have a church that they were a part of or or like maybe they weren't even christians but they were a part of this group they could come to a bible study that was held in a in a discord server every wednesday night and one of the leaders of the group would lead like a bible study with some of these folks and they're like man that's such a cool like what a cool way to be doing the ministry of the church among a group of people, especially like in the gaming space, which tends to be a really unchurched place in, in a lot of ways. Um, uh, it's such a cool way to just kind of do, do missions in a really micro kind of way, but using these tools, these social media tools and the internet more broadly, I think that's just really, really neat. And, and I think like I, I consult with churches on social media all the time. And I think churches having social media today is like churches having a website two decades ago. And yeah. I think like, um, that doesn't mean they need to be like, you know, posting once a day every day. Uh, but I do think it means like, I'm a big, I'm a big stewardship guy. And I think if you have a social media account as a church or multiple as a church, stewarding those well is important. I think it's a, it's a first impressions issue. Uh, for the same reason you keep up your church grounds, keeping up your church social media and, and, and using it wisely, I think is a really important sort of yeah, gospel well first, first impressions kind of thing. So, so I just think it's really, um, I think it's good to use social media, having a missional mindset when it comes to social media. Now, um, the metaverse conversation is a whole, man, that's a whole basket of conversations. Like there's just so much, um, wrapped up in like web three and the metaverse. I think, um, we were talking a little bit in the pre-show about this, but like, uh, the metaverse is really fascinating and it's a really cool prospect. I do not, like I said, I'm an early adopter guy. I do not yet have a VR headset at all. I've never even used one. Uh, I would love to like try one sometime. I've never even used one because here's my, here's my thing. And this just goes back to me. And this is just like my broken brain or, or good brain. I don't know, but like the biggest, most affordable headset company out there to be tinkering in the metaverse is Oculus owned mm -hmm. by meta, which is just like a privacy nightmare in every way. Like the last thing yeah. I'm going to give them is access to my face like that. So like, um, so I, anyway, I just think a lot of folks probably aren't thinking about that kind of thing, but if we're, <laughs> if we're getting into the metaverse, like, yeah, I, metaverse church, I don't want to, I don't want to make anybody too mad, but like, I don't think metaverse church is wise. 
Um, now, I think using it to serve people who are homebound is better than sending them cassette tapes like you maybe have to used to or like it's better than Facebook Live maybe. But like, I don't think Metaverse Church is a good idea in most cases because I think you get down to like, what is the nature of the church? Um, I, I think that like, it's even though the metaverse, you have these like cartoony, not even Pixar level avatars, right? It's, it's not, uh, it's not the embodied church and it, it should not be considered a replacement for that. Um, those people aren't going to be able to show up to your hospital bed if they need to, um, I mean, unless you happen to be in town, like where the physical sure, manifestation sure. of that church is. And so like, I, I think there are just some serious, concerns i have with that now i also want to say this i love the innovation i love the excitement that a lot of like mega churches have been kind of pouring some resources and some thought into this like i love again what am i all about i'm about not having uncritical embrace or passive ignorance so i don't think it's wise to just be like ah the metaverse is just some dumb fad that's going to go away in two years i mean could it yeah but i don't think this is going to go away i think it's coming and, and it's going to be, it's going to be like the internet eventually where it's like, just, it's the water, it's unavoidable. Yeah. I think we're all going to have headsets. It's going to be normal to have headsets. Like it's normal to have a laptop, I think in the next decade or two. Um, so I think that's coming and it's normal, but I don't think that we should be encouraging metaverse church at the expense of physical church. I think it can be a fine alternative for folks who maybe can't get to church for one reason or another. Uh, but I don't think we should be encouraging it at the expense of physical church. And so I, I want to kind of say, Hey, let's rein it in, but let's also not like condemn it as bad either. Like I'm, I'm not about either one of those. There's a great article that was written around the end of 2021 called how to prepare for the metaverse by Ian Harbor and Patrick Miller at the gospel coalition. And I, I had never met these guys before, but uh, I read this article and reached out to them and we sense of kind of in a group chat together where we chat pretty regularly about these things because we're all very interested in them. And they just have a really great, maybe if you guys have show notes or something, you can link to this. It's called How to Prepare for the Metaverse at TGC. And it's just a really great, here's what the metaverse is. Here's why your church may want to care. Here's why you may want to start thinking about it. But like, don't freak out. Like, don't feel like, oh no, our church isn't is going to go away because everyone's going to be going to church in the metaverse. Or don't think like it's evil. You know, it's, it's a very, that article is just a great kind of, here's why your church might want to care. Here's what's coming. Keep like, keep your finger on it, like keep your finger on it. But I think um, we're still like so many church, like, look, I consult with a lot of churches on social media strategy. Uh, I can tell you based on the social media that I've seen from a lot of churches, ain't none of them looking to get to the metaverse anytime soon. <laughs> like, <laughs> like They're trying to figure out how to use Facebook. I like, right. so so I think we should probably tap on the brake, but also not be ignorant and, and be aware of what's coming and not just straight condemn it. Cause I think it could be very good. And I think missions in the metaverse is a super interesting prospect because there's going to be plenty of third space social experiences. Epic, the company who makes Fortnite right, right. just announced a partnership with Lego. And I think whatever they come up with is going to probably end up rivaling Minecraft at some point. Mm. And, and I think churches, like, I'm not saying like your church elders, your deacons got to get together this week and be like, all right, how are we going to prepare for the, the Lego metaverse? No, 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 no. But don't also be like, ah, it's just some dumb thing. some kid thing. No, no, no. This is going to be important 
but like just it's one of those things like forecast keep your eye on it and don't let it like rock your boat right now just faithfully minister to people where you're at and uh and be ready for it when it comes yeah so chris that's uh i mean you you pointed out the this whole metaverse conversation i think it's like this is a conversation we're all going to be having to have at some point right Uh, in fact at some point we we probably need to have you back on for a longer conversation about this issue so we may we may have to do that sometime here down the road. Um, if I kind of recap some of what you said there, I'm I'm hearing again this balance between don't uncritically accept, but don't just kind of passively ignore or say curmudgeonly reject necessarily because it's different than what I know. Uh, we've got some real questions. We've got to answer those. So we need to be wise in approaching issues, particularly concerning moving our church wholesale into a virtual space. Uh, but you do see some real interesting opportunities for missions, gospel proclamation, perhaps some discipleship. Uh, aspects of the church's mission and ministry could perhaps be facilitated well in these spaces. So you know those groups that like a lot of I know a lot of women in like our community. They've they've maybe they grew up a Christian, but maybe haven't been at church for a while, and they start going to a Bible study fellowship group, which is kind of I believe is like a interdenominational, like, like even generally evangelical group that might meet at a church, but isn't necessarily affiliated with one particular church. It's kind of like a community Bible study often for women or whatever. Um, I think something like that in the metaverse, eventually, like when a lot more people adopt this, not saying like next week, but I'm saying like a decade, a sort of like online Bible study that maybe is an on-ramp for people to eventually engage with a church in their local community. I think that could be so cool. Like, I think that having, having some sort of conferences in a virtual space like that, like, I think that could be so neat because it, uh, look, if you think this idea is ridiculous, you haven't been sitting in zoom rooms for the last two years, like sitting in zoom rooms (laughs) is as ridiculous as sitting in a conference in the metaverse. Like it's, it's really just the next iteration, frankly. So I, I think it, it can have some really cool ministry applications, I would just be super hesitant to like do metaverse church at like, you know, at proper Um, there's, there's a whole lot of questions I have there, but doing various kinds of parachurch esque ministry there, man, so many opportunities that I'm really excited about. But again, let's just keep an eye on it. Cause it's uh, you know, even, even a lot of ahead of the game tech people don't even have headsets yet. So that we're, we're a bit, but I do think like just to prognosticate a little bit, I was joking, but seriously saying with a friend the other day, like, I think in five or 10 years, major fortune 500 companies are going to be like, when they assign new employees, a laptop, they're going to be sending them a headset, like hundred percent. Like they're good. Because again, if you've been sitting in meetings all day in zoom, yeah, it's, it's, it will eventually be a better experience to be doing that with a headset on. And if you'll feel a little bit more, a lot of the office culture that people are going to be losing, um, you can better replicate that in a virtual metaverse experience than you can in the zoom room. So I, I think that will happen. And then, then it'll kind of, kind of percolate down from there. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Uh, Chris, man, thank you so much for your time with us today. This has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. Uh, and to the main point of your book, I think this is an issue that we've all got to perk up and pay attention to. Uh, and for us at The Scent Life, like how does this affect the way we want to run everything through the grid, the filter of the Great Commission? How does this affect the way that we're going to be making disciples? And I think the answer is much in every way, but how, how do we really see that playing out practically? And this has been a big help in that conversation. Uh, if you're listening to this, I want to say again, if you'll reach out to us, first five people that reach out, 
we have a copy of Chris's book waiting for you. So make sure you hit us up. Uh, if you've got questions to ask about it, feel free to contact us as well. Chris, we really appreciate your time today. It's great to hang out, guys. Fun to talk and happy to come on again whenever you want to talk more metaverse or whatever else. You know, we're cool, whatever. Look forward to it. And by the way, uh, Chris Martin has a regular um, uh, newsletter that he sends out weekly. In fact, I spend every Saturday morning with Chris Martin's funnies, some of the funniest, <laughs> yeah. uh, funniest tweets from the previous week. And uh, I, I usually get this on Saturday morning over a cup of coffee pick two or three of them and send them out to my friends. And they think I'm the most well-connected guy <laughs> in the whole world. So awesome. Chris is over here making Scott cool. <laughs> awesome. Hey man, that I'm so glad that, that you love that, that little thing to talk for just a minute about that. I, I realized in my weekly social media newsletter that I, I usually at the bottom of the Thursday one that I send yeah. have a little like funny tweet. And I found when I was looking at some like stats, I was like, people click on that funny tweet more than just about anything else. This is like a year and a half ago. And I was like, I should make an, cause I have a whole column in my tweet deck, my yeah. Twitter thing for, for like comedian Twitter accounts. And, uh, and so I was like, I should just make a weekly email. That's just full of that stuff. Brilliant, and it man. went, it went from like, it went from like 12 people the first eight months to now i think it's like 400 people or something like that so i i mean i drinking or drinking your coffee and reading the tweets it's what i like i do i build them months out sometimes like i think i'm building ones for june right now mm. and uh and it's like it's been a while so like this when we get this one tomorrow we're recording on a friday when we get this one tomorrow on saturday i'll read them anew and be like oh yeah i remember that one that was really funny <laughs> uh, so yeah i'm glad you enjoy it man Chris, before we get off, why don't you tell our listeners how they can find and get a copy of your newsletter and even your, your comedy tweets for the week uh, so that they can jump on and be following what you do. And again, we would encourage you pick up a copy of Terms of Service, The Real Cost of Social Media. So, Chris, how can we find you, our listeners find you on, on, your, on your platforms? Yeah, uh, Twitter is primarily where like I have a public persona, I guess, because I have a public account. Uh, Twitter at Chris Martin 17 is where you can find me there. Like I said, I'm not usually actively monitoring it. So I may not respond if you reach out, but the link to the terms of service newsletter is there. Uh, and you can find the funnies is what that Saturday one is called. You can find the funnies by poking around terms of service. Um, but also I think it's just like the funnies.substack.com is where you can find the funnies. It's totally free. It will always be free because it's not even, they're not my jokes. So it's not going to charge for it. Um, and it's just a fun little collection for your, it's like Saturday morning cartoons in the 21st century kind of. So, uh, so yeah, but at Chris Martin 17 on, on Twitter. Thanks a ton, man. Appreciate you being here with us, Chris. Sure. Thanks guys. Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary exists to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. Located in Wake Forest, North Carolina, we offer over 40 degrees, ranging from a Bachelor of Arts to a Doctor of Philosophy. The Master of Divinity is Southeastern's flagship degree for anyone seeking to be thoroughly equipped to serve their local church through a variety of ways. Since 1950, Southeastern has grown its student body to more than 5,000 students who seek to minister in the U.S. and around the world. We believe that theological education is more than just building knowledge. It's about becoming who God has called you to be. No matter how God is calling you to serve, Southeastern will come alongside you and help you to grow in your faith and go to reach the lost. If you're interested in learning more, check out sebts.edu to find out how God might be calling you to go next. 
Use the code THESENTLIFE, all caps, no spaces, and Southeastern will waive your application fee. Hey, welcome back. Uh, we're super excited again to have Dr. George Robinson in our studio as we talk about going out of the tower. George, what do we go out of the tower and do this week? Yeah, and this season, I'm kind of building off of the concept of the core missionary task. Right. Uh, the IMB talks about how in order to live like a missionary, you need to have an entry strategy, evangelism strategy, disciple-making strategy, gathering strategy, then leadership development, partnership, and exit. And so this week, we're going to talk through an evangelism strategy called sharing your story in 15 seconds or a 15 second testimony. Wow, that's great. Let's see how that works. So there was a time in my life, Scott, that I was broken and without hope, but somebody took the time to share with me that God demonstrates his love for me and that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. So I turned from my sin, I trusted in Christ, and now my life's filled with hope and peace. Do you have a story like that? I do, but I'm not sure I can make it work in 15 <laughs> seconds. I hadn't practiced. <laughs> so I, I think if we looked at the clock here, that would come in right at 15 seconds. And so when you're talking about sharing your testimony as an evangelism strategy, oftentimes people will ramble on and right. on and on, and they haven't thought through it. Um, and you end up not creating questions in the mind of the listener mm -hmm. because you're carrying that story on. And so what I want to do when I'm uh, starting a conversation, is share that 15-second testimony, and it becomes an on-ramp into a deeper gospel conversation. So the 15-second story starts with looking back. What was your life like before Christ? Just think of two words or two concepts that de define what your life was like before. My two words were broken and without hope. Okay. And so those two words, if I use those in sharing my story, they elicit questions on mm. the part of the hearer. Okay, what do you mean you were broken? Mm -hmm. What does it look like to live without hope? And you're creating a connection point. Then you move to the middle part of the story, how you came to know Christ. And I tell people that, you know, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. And so I want to make the word central to mm -hmm. my story because it's really not about me. Right. Um, it's about the message of the gospel. So I drop Romans 5, 8 I in there. That. And, and I encourage people when you're sharing your story, whatever scripture verse that summarizes the gospel, drop it right mm -hmm. into the middle and then show how you responded to that. And so I use the words turned from my sin yeah. and trusted in Jesus okay. uh, with regards to that message. And then finally, the 15 second story ends with how the gospel has changed your life or what I call bring, bringing Jesus into the present hmm. tense. So a lot of people, especially here in the South, you'll talk to them about Christianity, and they'll say, oh, yeah, I did that a long time ago. Oh, yeah. But you've got to bring the gospel, bring Jesus into the present tense. How is the gospel affecting your life today? How does your relationship with God, uh, how is that displayed through the way you're living today? Mm -hmm. And so my two words for that part of the segment are, uh, now my life is filled with hope mm -hmm. and with peace. And those correspond to the initial two words, broken and without hope. Okay. And so what that does, giving this short on-ramp of my story in 15 seconds elicit, elicits questions. Mm -hmm. And then it also, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but I ended with the question, do you have a story like that? Yep. 
And the reason I do that is because that then gives the person, whoever I'm talking with, permission to share their story. Whether it's like mine or not, Mm -hmm. now I'm able to hear where they're coming from and look for ways to connect and bring the gospel to bear on their life. That's awesome. And 15 seconds is a kind of a a non-confrontational moment, right? I mean, in a a line at a movie theater, sitting next to someone on an airplane, anytime you just enter into some type of discussion, drop that in. So I love that. That's great. Yeah, I was at dinner this past weekend in uh, Nashville. My wife and I went out to dinner. And one of the things in a post-COVID context um, that we need to do is thank people for being present. Right. Because, quite frankly, a lot of people have withdrawn in society, withdrawn from the workforce. You'll see signs all over restaurants that say, sorry, we're short-staffed. And so first thing I did is I looked at the server and I said, thank you for being here. A lot of people have chosen to kind of exit the workplace and you're here and like I'm benefiting from it. So thank you. And she was like, nobody's ever said that before. Wow. She said, why would you say that? I said, because there was a time in my life when I was broken and without hope, but somebody took the time to share with me that God demonstrates his love for me and that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. So I turned from my sin. I trusted in Jesus. Now my life is filled with hope and peace, and I want you to have a story like that. Great. Love that. All right, everybody's assignment this week is to look back, look into the Bible, look into the present, and to write your 15-second testimony and then let's use it. And if you do that, um, send us a note somewhere. We'd love to hear your stories of how you used your 15-second testimony and maybe how God used that to uh, challenge someone to trust Christ. Thanks for being with us, George. You bet. <laughs>